watching online or you're here in the room, welcome. Um, we are, um, last week we started a two-part teaching on um, the subject of worship, worship. And we asked the question, why am I really here? It's a great question to ask. Um, what's the point to life? I, lo- I think a lot of times we go through things and we, you know, especially if it's a difficult time, difficult season in your life, you ask why. What's the purpose? What's the point? What am I here for? And so we're going to continue that. We're actually going to wrap it up. This is, it's been a quick two-week series on worship. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 4 and also John chapter 4. And so week one, what we said is that we were created. The reason why you were made, if you're alive, you have a purpose and the reason that, and that purpose for your life is to worship. You were created, you were made to worship. And what we said is that you're going to worship something or someone. Like, we can't help it, okay? It's, it's just how we were created. And if you choose to not worship your creator, you will, you will worship something less, something of a lesser value. And so my hope, uh, as we look at God's word as we get into it last week and this week is that you would find yourself as you dig into God's word and as you learn from him as you open up your hearts to him my my hope is that you would begin to move closer and closer to those whom Jesus calls true worshipers okay because there's a lot of fake stuff going on out there and so Jesus does not call you to be fake he does not call you to religion. He does not call you to a set of denominations. He calls you to be a true worshiper. And so what we said last week is this. Let's put it on the screen. We said worship is our response to what we value most. Can we say that together? Worship is our what? Is our response. That's a key word right there. To what we value most. Worship is our response to what we value most that could be a number of things that could be work okay that could be a person that could be a uh, status that could be a relationship that could be something you own um, it could be some kind of pleasure a name I mean you name it okay you were created to worship you're going to worship something we cannot help it you're going to worship something whether you're a Jesus follower or not. If you choose not to worship your creator, you will worship of something of, of a lesser value. And so when you read God's word, now this is, let me, let me back up a little bit and say this. A, a lot of times we think that worship is something like you, you, um, you watch, right? Like, you know, when we think of worship, you think of music, you think of Sunday mornings, what we just did a second ago. Worship is not something you watch. Now, I understand that if you've been to church for any period of time, you may be a little bit confused because even the way we set up the chairs, or, or, or you know, if you've been to any other church, the way they set up the pews, they, they set them up in such a way so that, so that you can have the best viewing experience. I mean, it's everything is the way the lights, you know, how the lights are set up, you know, and it's, they're pointing to the stage. And so you may be confused. You may think that it's, you know, worship. Yeah, that's what we do Sunday mornings. But worship is not like you watch a movie. It's not like watching an event, a sporting event, or a concert, or anything like that. Worship is a verb. And, and when you look at the Bible, it is filled with um, uh, action verbs. Shout to God. 
sing a new song, dance before him, clap your hands. I mean, it's all over the place. Bow down, stand in awe, meditate on his truth. I mean, time and time again, what you see is that God is calling you to action. Run to him, seek his face over and over and over. Like worship is not something that we just kind of sit down, relax, and watch. It's something that you are a part of and you're active. And so worship, one more time, worship, let's say it together, is our what? Our response to what we value most. And time and time again, I've used my boat as an illustration because I truly believe that for a little while it was something that I was worshiping. I would love to, I mean, you ask my kids, I think they've been traumatized. Like they're going to they're gonna have to get counseling at one point, you know, in their lives because if... You know, I would wash that stupid boat, like, for hours at a time, and I loved it. I loved it. Now, I mean, I could spend, like, literally three, four, five hours just washing. The thing was so clean. I mean, it was spotless. But it was, it was my response to something that I valued. And so worship is a little bit like that. And so now you're here or you're watching or you're listening and maybe you're a little bit like me. You're passionate. You're truly passionate about God, but you're frustrated because you're frustrated by the presence of those little idols in your life. There's, I call them last week. If you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you go back and listen to it because it was sort of the foundation to what we're talking about today. But basically I call them puny gods and you may be truly passionate about the lord but at the same time you get frustrated at yourself because there is some little gods little idols some puny gods that they sort of hang around and from time to time you you, you give in to them and i want to i want to let you know there's a reason for that there is a war that's raging for your worship Okay, like there is Jesus faced it. He faced the battle. You and I, we face it. Okay, we wrestle with this. And, and so think of it this way. In fact, we're going to be in Matthew chapter four here in a minute. But, you know, Jesus, for the most part, the first 29, 28 years of his life, he lived a pretty private life. Okay, and then his ministry takes off. Like it was like he becomes... If for lack of a better word, he becomes famous. It was towards the end of his life, okay? It was like the last three years of his life. And before God uses him in a, in a powerful way, publicly, before his public ministry, before his ministry just takes off, the enemy comes to him. And so he comes to him and he tempts them three times. And one of the temptations is found in verse 8, Matthew chapter 4. And I just want to show you this. It says this, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. And I don't know exactly how this worked. I don't know all the details. Um, but it says, Scripture says, the devil takes him to the peak of a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, you know the story. Most of you know the story. This was actually his third attempt. So this wasn't the first time. This was not the first try. This was not his first attack. Like, he, he goes one time, 
nothing happens. A second time, nothing happens. He knows he's running out of time. So he's going to deliver his, his greatest blow for last. Like, this is it. I'm out of options. And so the enemy says, you know what? i got to lay it all on the line. This thing matters. And, and he brings him to a high place, to a mountain, shows him the, the, the kingdom, shows him the glory of um, the world. Um, and then he says, he says this, I, verse 9, I will give it all to you. Now, at first hand, that may, that may sound like, like a good thing, right? Like Satan saying, I'm going to give it all to you, right? Well, not so fast. He said, if you kneel down and, here's our key word, what? Worship me. Now, what in the world was Satan thinking? I mean, just stop for just a moment. Just stop to think about it, okay? He's coming to the Son of God. Like, he knows very well who the Son of God is, okay? And he's asking him, he said, he said I'm going to give you everything if you bow down and work. What was, I mean, was, he's such a fool. I mean, Satan, an exile of heaven. Remember, he was kicked out of heaven, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, if you want to dig in a little bit more and get into those, those verses. This guy, he was doomed to die. And yet, he brings this, to, this is it. This is the, like the last chance that he's thinking. And he's like, I'm going to give you everything. If you just bow down and, and worship me. Now that all you have to do is just, just, just a little worship here. What was he thinking? What a fool. But I want you to know that's exactly what he does in your life. Whenever God's getting ready to use you publicly, whenever, whenever God's getting ready to, just like Jesus, like he was getting ready to go like into his public ministry, whenever God's going to use you in somebody's life, whenever God's going to use you to a greater degree, the enemy knows, man, he, I'm losing ground, and he comes after you. And so if you are right now in the middle of an attack, if you are in the middle of a struggle, if you are in the middle of something that you don't like, I want you to know more than likely is because you're being obedient, which is, that's a good thing. And secondly, because the enemy has put a huge X on your back. And he's saying, you know what? I know what's about to happen, and I know how I'm going to lose ground, and I'm going to, you know, you're going to reach that person. You're going to love that someone. You're, gonna, you're getting ready to do something for me. I see your faithfulness. I see your obedience. I got I to gotta br- bring the heat up. He says, I'm going to attack you. And the way he does it is the same way that he attacked Jesus. If your worship did not matter, the enemy would not want to steal it. Think about that. If it didn't matter, he, he wouldn't come after you. So three things I want you to know this morning. Number one, there's a, there's a fight. There's a fight for your worship, okay? And often what I find is that it involves our feelings. If you don't feel like it, then you tend to, like, uh, you know, you kind of a little bit more, there's a little bit more apathy, but but. What you need to understand is that sometimes the enemy can actually attack your feelings as well. And as a believer and as a follower of Christ, you have to have enough discipline to move. Because when you move physically, sometimes the heart follows. Not always. Sometimes it's the heart comes first, and then you go. But there are times when you have to move physically, and you have to say, you know what, I don't feel like, and then you fill in the blank. And then the heart will follow and the feelings will follow. 
But there's a fight for your worship. The second thing is there's a place for worship. You know that? Now, you may be watching online and you're just like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, am I, am I in trouble now because I'm not in church? There is actually a place for worship. Let me show it to you. If you flip to John chapter 4, same chapter uh, as Matthew, found it interested. Both are in chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4, we looked at that a second ago. Now we're going to look at John chapter 4, a place to worship. So you remember the Samaritan woman? So Jesus is basically uh, on a journey and he says you know what i must stop by samaria he meets this lady they're having a conversation she's there to get water and i'm not going to cover the whole thing but basically they're having a conversation and about halfway through it in verse 20 in verse 19 actually she says is sir the woman asked you she said you must be a prophet like, so she, like, she's talking to, she's no dummy. She knows, like, there's got to be, in fact, the Bible says anybody that, any time that Jesus, that people came into the presence of Jesus and they heard him speak, they concluded that, man, this guy speaks with authority. And so, so she's talking to him. She doesn't know who he is. But at some point, halfway through the conversation, she realizes, okay, this is not your average Joe, like this, there's got to be some, something, like this guy must be a prophet. He must be like, there's something. And she says, sir, you, you've got to be a prophet. You got to, like, there's something different about you. And then, and then in verse 20, she, she asked a question that I want you to notice this morning. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while the Samaritans, again, Jesus the Jews, she was a Samaritan, okay? So she's like, why is it that the Jews say, like, Jerusalem has got to be the only place to worship, while the Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Now, what you need to understand is, in the past, God had actually given his people a command, both Jews and Samaritans. He had said, you know what, you've, there's a place where you've got to worship. And he says, you've, you've got to choose. And so the Jews and the Samaritans, they picked a place, they recognized what God had told them. And I just let me put just sort of a parenthetical note right here. It is a good thing to choose a place and a time to worship. That is a good thing to develop that that discipline. A lot, a lot of one of the things that, that I've said to our church is, I, I understand that because of COVID, because of the pandemic, for many of us, we've had to change our habits, we've had to change our routine. And one of the things that the enemy will do in your life, he he will disrupt your life, okay, so that you change your habits. Because habits, sometimes they're a good thing. They're not always a bad thing. There are good habits that you have in your life. And so one of the things that I've said to our church is this. You want to, as we're going through this pandemic, for some of you, you can legitimately, you cannot be here. That's perfectly fine. But what I want to challenge you to do is to establish some new habits. It was, a, it was a video that I put out probably about a month ago. So establish a Sunday morning habit. Tell your kids, hey, tomorrow morning... Even if it's from the living room, we're going to, at 9.30, we're going we're gonna to have a service. We're going to get ready, and we're going to, we're gonna go to church, right? We're going to worship, or we're going to do whatever, okay? It's going to be 11. It's going to be 9.30. Whatever time, it doesn't matter. But what the enemy will do is he will disrupt your life, so you lose focus, and before you know it, you're kind of like just going down your own path. 
And so establish a Sunday morning routine. I've also said establish a life group routine. Sunday mornings is not enough. You've heard me say it. If you, if you can only do one or the other, choose life groups because you need a support group. You know, one of the things about Sunday morning is you can come in and you can leave or you can not come in and then never show up. And it takes weeks for us to notice because it's a, it's a greater number of people. So if you're missing, nobody's going to notice you. If you're in a life group of 6 to 12 people and you're not there, someone's going to notice. Somebody's going to call you. Somebody's, somebody's going to pray for you. Somebody's going to ask, are you doing okay? So establish a Sunday morning routine. Establish a life group routine. Keep the kids connected. I'm so glad that we opened up Kids Point. But if you're not coming to church, I want to challenge you. Make sure you spend some time with your kids watching kids online and then pray for your church and seize new opportunities just because we're not some of us are not meeting in place does not mean that we cannot be the church you've seen me wear that that t-shirt that says the church is outside the building has left the building and i truly believe that we this is not just the church is not just this building okay the church is not we don't just worship in this location and so the jews and the samaritans they recognize what god had said, choose a place to worship. So here's what's happening. The Jews, they picked Jerusalem. They said, this is a place where we're going to worship. The Samaritans, they, placed, they picked a different place. It's a place called Shechem. And basically, it was near this mountain, Gerizim. And it was a place where, you know, when they left Egypt, when the Israelites left Egypt, before they, God allows them to come into the promised land, years later, before they come into the promised land, they stop and they say, God, thank you so much that the, 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 the promise has come true. And so before, right before they go into the promised land, they pick this place. And so the Samaritans said, this is the place to worship. The Jews said, no, 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 we're going to Jerusalem. The Samaritans, no, we're going down here. And so the question is, which one is the right place, right? Biblically, which one was the right place for them and which one is the proper place for us to worship. Well, look at what Jesus says. Look in verse 21. Jesus replied, this is huge. Watch this. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So what, what, what is Jesus telling her? She, he, he's saying, look, there's no point to debate this, this thing. Okay, because both places are going to become obsolete. And what he's talking about is when Jesus died, one of the significant events of the day when he when he died was that the temple, what happened to the, the veil in the temple? It ripped. The Bible says it ripped from top to bottom. Now, if you kind of understand the significance of that, you will probably understand what Jesus is talking about. See, back in the Old Testament with the tabernacle, later on with the with the temple, basically there was this veil. The veil separated a room which was called the Holy of Holies. It was, it was where the direct presence of God was. And this veil separated the secular from the sacred. And so God's people were used to, like there's no way to God unless it's through a priest. And the priest actually had limited access to the direct presence of God. Well, when Jesus died, what happens? The veil is ripped from top to bottom as a way of saying, now you are the temple. 
Now you have direct access to me. You don't have to. You don't have a some veil blocking you. And you, you've heard me saying, bef- said before, like when I'm giving the invitation, like and you're confessing, I'm asking, challenging you to confess something. I say, like, you don't confess to me. I don't need to know your sins. I'm not your priest. You've heard me say that before, right? You have direct access to the Father, and so, so Jesus says. It says you're you're the temple if you've if you're a jesus follower and you've accepted his love now jesus his spirit the holy spirit the the third person of the trinity takes residence in you and so he says in verse 23 watch this i love this he says but the time is coming indeed it's it's here now so remember he had not died right so he says, like, he's saying, like, the time is coming. It's like it's almost here. We're only just a few more months, a few more years, uh, uh, you know, from, from this event happening. The time is here. Indeed, it's here now. Watch this. When true worshipers, that's what I'm encouraging you to become. When true worshipers, that's, like, that's huge right there, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now watch this. The Father is looking, and I think this could be said of today as well, for those who will worship him that way. Now, the church has gotten this so screwed up. In fact, so it's been so bad that Jesus says one day people will come and they'll say, Lord, Lord, you know, like, why should I let you into my kingdom? And he says, Lord, Lord, we, you know, we've done all of these things. We've taught in your name. We've done all of these works in your name. And Jesus will look at them and say, like, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I, I believe the primary reason is because there are people, and this is harsh for me to say this, it's harsh, but there are people who are gathered in church today, in a church building, who one day Jesus will look at them and it's like, you're not a true worshiper. Lord, Lord, like we said your name and we, we taught in your name. And some of those people, who knows, they may be preachers. Some of those people may be teachers. Some of those people may be leaders in churches. And God will look at them and say, you know what? I'm looking for true worshipers. And you don't make the cut. And so, so look at what he says. This tr- the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. He's on a rescue. God the Father is on a rescue mission. Remember the, the, the mission where they rescued the 33 miners in Chile? I think several years ago, probably 10 years ago, for 69 days. They were trying. I mean, it was the biggest. I mean, it was one of the biggest things in that in that country. Thirty-three miners trapped. They didn't know how to get the, to them. I mean, they like all like we were involved as a country. Look, we sent them help. Like all over the world, it was all over the news. And they were they were on the biggest rescue mission. That for Chile, it was the biggest rescue mission for sixty-nine days. They're going after them. You know, you say you know we're we're talking about. Um, I'm thinking about doing a, a series on end times. I told you that last week. We're thinking about maybe at the beginning of next year. We're, we're getting ready right now. But you talk about why hasn't he come back to rescue us? And I think one of the reasons is because he's looking. He's looking for true worshipers, and he's being patient. 
And God is, is he's saying, you know what? I don't care if it takes, um, you know, this period of time. I don't care how long it takes. I am waiting for them. And so look at what it says, verse 24. It says, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. A lot of people worship through religion. A lot of people worship through regulations. I saw someone the other day, and uh, it was right after, it was a Sunday morning, and it was two, three weeks ago, uh, after church, um, we were coming out of a place where we stopped to eat, and I saw this couple, they attend our church, and um, immediately they saw me, and they're like, I'm so sorry, you know, I've been working all night long, we just got home, I slept until noon, and it was like one excuse after the next, and I'm like, whoa, 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 we're not that type of church, I'm not type of uh, type of preacher, Guilt and shame only come from the enemy. So if you are not at church today, you're good, all right? There's no, there's no like, condemnation from me, okay? Like, there's nothing, none of that. I never even thought of it. But I've been to those churches before where if you miss one Sunday or a couple of Sundays, it's like, whoa, you know, like they get put into the little black <laughs> list, you know? You think that's what Christ died for? Are you kidding me? So he says, for God is looking for true worshipers. What, what does that look like? Well, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't require some fancy, elaborate expression of worship. He's, he's looking for spiritual. The worship is, he's looking for is spiritual and true. Genuine, authentic. It's worship from, from the heart. And that can happen anywhere now one of my favorite passages of scripture is in hebrews look at this real quick and we'll put it on the screen i love this it says this This is all about worship it says through jesus then let us continually and that's a powerful word right there not just the sunday morning hour through jesus then let us continually Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Man, there, there's so much I could get into here with the Old Testament. You know, how they brought literally an animal and they would sacrifice it to the Lord. And, but it wasn't all the time. So, so now we have direct access to Jesus, but things change, right? Like the stakes are a little bit higher. We're not just going to worship him, you know, once a year or once every couple of months. No, no, no. He's saying through Jesus, because we have direct access, now we need to continually Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. This is all about worship. Now watch this. That is the fruit. What, what, don't miss it. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now you may be thinking, okay, I don't get that. That's kind of the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I don't, I'm not really sure. It sounds like a little bit of an odd phrase. What's, what's God talking about? L- listen to it for a minute. Let me, let me say it again. He's saying the the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name what's that talking about there is no fruit without some roots let that sink in for a moment there's no fruit without some roots and so in your life whatever comes out of your mouth is usually deep-rooted there's some roots that have taken hold of your heart of your soul so what comes out of your mouth is not just coming out of your mouth jesus says but it's actually coming from somewhere deep inside of you and so when you worship him 
when you worship him and, 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 and it's a prayer and it's a song and it's, it's, a, it's something that you do, it's, it's not something that it's just like, no, 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 no. It's, it's coming from deep within your soul. That's why the psalmist says 80, in Psalm 86, verse 12, with all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever. So there's a fight for worship. There's a place where worship begins. Where is that? It's rooted. It begins deep within your soul. And you can show up to church. You can even watch online or listen to the message and your heart be far from him. That's why he says, you know, they, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then last, there's a way to worship now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Which one would you prefer? As a husband that tells you that he loves you 10 times a day, or one who's faithful to you alone, consistently doing the things that show that he cares? Let me, let me ask you, let me put it this way. Which one would you prefer? Uh, a significant other who, who gives you homemade cards with little messages saying, you're the best thing in my life, or someone who respects you, who honors you, who's not going to be dating um, uh, around on you which one would you prefer w- would you rather have kids who basically they tell you how much you mean to them or kids who are trustworthy enough to care enough about what you tell them and so they obey you because you know that they know that what you've asked them to do is is what's best for them what, what, what's better? What's better? A friend who keeps telling you, you know, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're like my best friend. Or someone who's there for you when things go down the drain ne- and they never stab you in the back and then they're going to be there no matter what. what, what which, which one would you prefer? Now, like, if you're like me, it's both, right? I, I want both. I want words and I want actions, right? And I, I would guess that that's the same way for you. In your relationships and, you know, in life, you want both. And so does God. God wants our words. He wants our actions. And so in the New Testament, it's really interesting. One thing I've learned is when you look at, like, the original language, when you look at the word worship in the, in the New Testament, there's two primary words that are used, that Jesus uses. One, he actually uses with the Samaritan woman. And that word worship, it it actually means to have an attitude of honor and reverence. And I think sometimes in our in our culture, we kind of cross the line a little bit too far. And we 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 know that he's our friend and he loves us as a friend, but he's much more than that. He's also holy and righteous and he's our God and he's supreme above all things. And sometimes it's hard to walk that line. But when you look at the word worship, two of the primary words the, the one that Jesus uses with the Samaritan woman has the idea of, of showing respect and honor and reverence. Literally means to bow before, to kiss the hand of a king. And yet, there's another word that is used that is less glamorous. And it literally means to serve. Do you know that? In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word in Romans chapter 12 last verse that i'll share with you in romans chapter 12 he uses this word for worship meaning to serve and this is what he says 
He says, I appeal to you, therefore, like he's begging them, like I am begging you, he says, by the mercies of God. If you understand what mercy, that word mercy means, is it means when, when you show compassion and we, when, you give, when you forgive someone even though they're guilty, like they, they've done something wrong, they're at fault, and you're still, you're going you're gonna to love them regardless. And it's hard, right, to show mercy, Right? So what Paul is saying here is, I am begging you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, help me out, your spiritual what? Worship. Now, same verse, a little bit of a different translation, reading from the New King James Version. Can we put it up? Look at the last phrase. Same verse. Paul's saying, I'm beseeching you, like I'm begging you, whatever you do, you know, by the mercies of God, because of his mercies, because you've been saved, because, you know, what you really deserve, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So really, if you've ever sinned, what you deserve is death, which means separation from God. But because he's been merciful, if you've seen mercy, if you've experienced mercy, if you've, if you've experienced the cross, if you understand what his forgiveness is all about, this is what you should do. He says, offer up your bodies. And then at the end, he says, which is your reasonable what? Service. That's what worship is. It's one of the two words that is used in the New Testament. It's words. You bow before a king, right? It's actions. So it's not just something that you sing and you say. It's something that you do. It's Worship is a verb. And so if I wrote you a check, thought about doing this, I didn't do it, but if I wrote you a check for $100, wouldn't that be awesome? The pastor, Pastor Nicholas is ready, you know? I dare say some of you guys watching online would show up if we did that. If I wrote you a check for $100 and I call one of you guys and say, come up here, you know, just felt like being generous today. Doesn't happen often. What would you do? What do you say? If I give you a hundred, a check for a hundred dollars, thank you. Like having your mom tell you what to say. Like if I give you a check for a hundred dollars, what's the what's the right response? Thank you. Very good. You guys are scaring me there for a minute. Now, if I add three zeros to that check, what happens? What's the right response? It's like, well, I don't have that kind of money, but anyway, <laughs> but is it good, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, man, I feel a little bit more indebted, right? And you're giving me, whoa, you know, $100,000. Bible says, and you know this, it's not new, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ. One of the reasons why I love our church is because we've said from day one, no perfect people allowed. So we want you to be an integral part of the church, but it's not because, you know, we're going to make you feel guilty if you're not here. But if you're in Christ, think about it. The Bible says you're born again. You're a child of God. You're sons and daughters of the king. Permanently attached to him. Nothing will ever separate you from him. I mean, that to me, it blows my mind. You know, your debt has been paid in full. The power of sin has been broken. Death has been defeated. You are alive. I know sometimes we may not feel like it, but the Bible says you're different. You're a new creation. It's a game changer. And because of that, if you, if you truly understand 
the mercies of God and you truly understand that because of our sin, because of all of our screw-ups, we, what we deserve is separation from a loving God, but because of Jesus and His mercies, what we have is full of, like we have life to the nth degree, then your, your reasonable service, then what you should do, your response matters, basically, is what Paul is saying. So the truth, though, is that for far too long, people have been cheating God. Because we say we worship Him and we do one thing, but we behave in a different way. And I know I'm stepping on some toes, my own as well. And God deserves both. Worship is not just the two songs that we sang this morning, the one we sang at the end, or the song that you play on the radio. Worship is your everything. And so, how do we respond to the cross of Christ? How do we respond to the cross? By just attending the, the church down the road? By putting two bucks in the offering plate or the offering box at the end? By wearing a little cross? Is that, is that how we're going to worship? Is that how we're going to respond to the work of the cross? By saying a meal before Thanksgiving? How do we respond? You know, by owning a Bible or maybe saying a prayer for the missionary once a year? No way! The right response is to say, okay, God, I am putting it all, I'm going to put, put it all on the line. It is all yours, God. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm all, of, all of me, God. I'm, I am the sacrifice. And just like in the Old Testament, they would take that sacrifice and they would burn it up. That should be our attitude. And that's what Paul is saying. I am begging you. I'm beseeching you. Whatever word you want to use, like burn yourself up for his sake. Because that's what you were made for. You're made to worship. It's easier to sing a song than to stop and touch the broken. There are people around you who are broken relationally, financially, I mean, in all kinds of ways. Mentally, it's easier to come to church than to touch the broken. It's easier. It's less taxing, man. I've been there. It's less taxing to go to church than to take the church to the world. And so, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to leave you with a picture in mind. As our worship team gets on stage, I want to leave you with this picture, if you don't mind, just for a moment. I want you to think of this. You know, worship is obviously not free. It costs Jesus everything. It costs the Son of God we, His life on that wonderful wonderful cross. I don't even know why we call it wonderful because the, the Roman cross was a cruel, painful way to die. It's a place of execution, place of rusted nails, pierced flesh, gasping breath, a scene of, of shame. The cross meant humility. It meant judgment, agony. And so the picture that I want to leave with you that I hope it remains in your mind this week is Jesus taking his last breath the Bible says that by the cross stood a Roman centurion. He was there doing his job. Just think, picture this for a moment. The last breath that Jesus was, a, the Son of God, he was taken. There's a Roman centurion right there. There's thunder all over the place. 
The skies are getting dark. The Bible says that the earth shook. All of creation trembled. They're witnessing the greatest act of mercy that humans had ever experienced. Greatest act of mercy history had ever known. And this Roman soldier with his, who was standing right there at the cross, at the foot of the cross, along with his co-workers, he's the one that stripped Jesus and beat him up and mocked him and crucified him. And, and at that moment, as Jesus is taking his last breath, the guy who's supposed to be the enemy of Christ, in that moment, he says, he's compelled to say, to proclaim, truly, this was the Son of God. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, his eyes are open to God's redemption story, to the wonder of it all for him. And in that moment, right there in the middle of the chaos, the sorrow, worship began for him at the foot of the cross. So what will it take for worship to begin in your heart? We've said from day one, from last week, we said worship is what you value, right? It's your response to what you value. Some of us put a lot of value on our worries because that's all we do, we just worry. Some of us worship our kids because our lives are all, it's all about the kids. Some of us, no doubt, we worship our jobs and our careers and whatever, whatever, no matter what, We worship our finances, our money, our relationships, that thing. Some of us worship our time. And my challenge to you is that, and to me, is that as we study and as we dig into God's Word, that we will move closer and closer to those whom Jesus called true worshipers. It is imperative that you find someone worthy of your affection. It's essential that you find a God who's worthy of your life's devotion. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Not the job, not the... Man, at the end of the day, nobody says before they die, I wish I would have spent another day at work. I wish I would have made another dollar. So you only have one life. You only have this brief opportunity to declare your allegiance, to, to unleash your affection, to exalt someone who's greater than you, who's eternal. And so how many of you would say, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? By raising your hand, or maybe online, you can let us know as well. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor, I, the truth is in my life right now, I'm holding on to something that I shouldn't be holding on to. And I want to hold on to God. I want to hold on to Jesus. I want to... I see your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. God sees your heart. And I'd say that just like that man at the foot of the cross, worship has just begun. Father God, we come before you and we declare our desire to be that sacrifice. Thank you for the access. 
of forgiveness and love. Thank you for being our Savior. And God, regardless of where we're at, maybe we're driving, maybe we're watching from home. Father, we just take a moment and say, here's my life. I know you don't, it's not religion, it's not my money, it's not my attendance, it's not a bunch of things that I have to do. God, it's my heart. And so use me, Father, with all of my insecurities, with all of my baggage, with all of my mistakes. God, help me. there's There's a fight, God. And so this week, when I have to talk to that person and love on them, help me know, help me remember that the enemy is coming after me, coming after my heart. Because if he takes a hold of my heart, then the battle is over. And so, God, we ask for your strength, your courage, your wisdom in each one of our lives. And we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.